All you want to be is a big league pitcher. When you were a junior in high school and a skinny 5'8 kid, your chances didn't look great. But a growth spurt over the next year took you to about 6'3". Your velocity ticked up and lo and behold, you got drafted in the 15th round by the Toronto Blue Jays. It hasn't always been a smooth ride on your way to the show, though. Three elbow surgeries, three years essentially lost to arm trouble. Feeling my body's feeling really good. Um, a lot of hard work went into this offseason to get me and the quarantine to get me to where I need to be right now. And it's, uh, yeah, I'm just feeling really strong right now. But you've persevered, you've made it, and you've been dealing so far in 2020. Lots of stories to tell. I'm Dan Schulman, and this is a swing and a belt. 3-2. Got him. Another slider down and in. And Ryan Barucki continues to impress. He strikes out the side. Ryan Barucki is a 26-year-old lefty from Mundelein, Illinois. After a stellar rookie season with the Blue Jays in 2018, elbow trouble basically wiped out his 2019 season. And he had some less serious elbow issues again this spring. But now, he's healthy. And although he's always been a starter, he is currently pitching out of the bullpen for the Blue Jays and has been striking out batters at an extraordinary rate. He's been through a lot to get where he is, and I think everyone feels we are witnessing just the beginning of what should be a nice long career in the big leagues. Ryan, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Dan, for having me. I want to talk some baseball, but I'm going to warn you early. I'm going to try to take you in other directions, and I want people to hear about Ryan Barucki, the person, a little bit, because I've gotten to know that guy a little bit over the last couple of years, and he's an interesting guy. But let's start with some hardcore baseball. Like, just at the bottom of all this, at the base of all this, you've just got to be thrilled that you're healthy and you're out there pitching um, after all you've been through over the last few years, I would think. Yeah, I just – I remember coming into the offseason after last year just to such a – after going – the great rookie season debut for myself and then just a just a very disappointing year because come into the off season ready to go for 2019 and just didn't work out the way I wanted to and just grinding down the rehab life and just arm was never getting better and stuff like that it was just frustrating so this year I'm just gonna enjoy playing baseball and I've told a lot of guys it's like man I've you take it for granted sometimes you know you don't really realize until it's taken away from you how much that game really means to you and how much it, I mean, you just kind of take it for granted because you're so used to being healthy and playing. And yeah, I'm just really enjoying this season right now. It's just so much fun to just be back out there and playing. Well, and I don't think a lot of people know, you know, you had Tommy John in 2013 and you had elbow trouble, bone chips and missed most of 2015. Like that's before you get to the big league. So most people don't know that, but you talk about grinding out the rehab life. Like you're the, you're the president of grinding out the rehab life. It, does it get, you know, harder every time or because you've done it so many times before and you kind of know what you're getting into, do you just say, put your head down and say, hey, I got to go do this? Yeah, it definitely, after doing it a couple of years, like you get used to it. It doesn't get any easier, but like my mindset is just like, hey, you just got to have a goal in mind every single day to just, you got to kind of have to embrace the suck, you know, you know, <laughs> it's going to suck every day, but you got to go in and get as much work in as you can. And like, obviously like it's not good, but I've, I've definitely been surrounded with guys when I'm rehabbing that push me, like, unfortunately they're hurt. So I've had good groups of guys down while I've, which make it a little bit more tolerable, but, but yeah, it's just, it's one of those things that you just got to like embrace and just say, Hey, like every day counts because it's going to mean something when 
you're grinding during the season and all that rehab that you did when you're tired and stuff, it's going to be paying off, you know? So yeah, it does stink sometimes, but sometimes you just got to look at the bigger picture. He's got some real bulldog in him, don't you think? Is yeah, he does. I think trying to prove to people that he can be the guy he was two years ago. Look at that, 94, up around the hands. VR swings through it, one down. And he's looking back at Barucki because he was one for five against him. He's faced Ryan. He says, where did you get that fastball? So well, let's talk about this year. Right now you're pitching out of the bullpen, as I mentioned. You've always been a starter. I know you want to be a starter, and I think you will be a starter in the future. But with the guys they brought in and just kind of the general craziness of 2020, it's one of those, you know, you got to do what they're asking you to do situation. And you've been throwing lights out. Uh, tell me about the difference between being a relief pitcher and a starting pitcher, the adrenaline rush, when the phone rings, or in Buffalo, actually, I guess when the walkie-talkie goes off, I think is the way that you guys are finding out who's supposed to get up in the pen. Tell me just about life in the bullpen so far for you this year. It's much different. Obviously, like starting, you have your routine, you know what you're going to do in the buildup. It's just a lot different. And for me, like I love starting. I want to be a starter, but the bullpen isn't like a bad thing for myself. I'm really enjoying it right now. You're just in the game a lot more like engaged. And it's, it's a fun dynamic down in that bullpen. We have a pretty special bullpen down there right now. So it's everybody really cares about each other. We all pull for each other. And it's just cool to watch how guys prepare for games and stuff like that and when that phone rings and your name's called it's it's go time i kind of have that starter mentality where it's i can turn it on turn it off i don't need to be getting locked in for three four innings to like get myself ready but once that phone rings and they say brooke it's your inning that feeling of adrenaline just hits you and you can just feel your heart start beating a little bit faster and and that's what this year, especially like, I don't know if anybody's really noticed like on broadcast or stuff, but I have been taking more breaths and just cause every pitch means something, you mm -hmm. know, it's, it's different when you're first, second inning, I can move fast and I can, I can get away with making bad pitches because, okay, if I let up two runs here, our guy still got it. You know, it's only a second inning, but I come in in the sixth, seventh or eighth That's go time. We can't be letting up any runs. So it's every pitch matters. So that's why I've been really kind of slowing my pace down making sure every pitch has as much conviction as I possibly can. And, but yeah, it's, it's been fun so far. I've, I really like it. It's not a bad substitution for starting. In that five seconds between when the phone rings and you hear your name, like, um, and again, in Buffalo, it looks like it's a walkie-talkie. I don't think there are phones. It looks like Pete Walker is, is, is walkie-talkieing down to Matt Bushman. But whatever it is, whatever ballpark you're in, when the phone or the walkie-talkie goes off, does conversation stop? right then and there and everybody kind of looks at Bushman to see who's going in. Oh yeah. Yeah. Once that phone rings, especially in some of those, the, the ringer's so loud, everyone just kind of like turns and looks and just waits. Guys kind of have an idea. Guys are starting to figure out what the roles are right now. So we kind of, right now they're not as surprising anymore. Like there was the first week, but yeah, it's, it's everybody kind of just stops and turns and waits till he says something. And then if your name's not called, you're like, Oh, okay <laughs> we got uh, we're good um uh, but if it does just get right up and get down like right now in buffalo you got to get down from the stands right in the end just get down there and start going i've been doing this 25 years and we have cameras on the bullpen so we can always see what's going on you should know this by the way we can see what's going on e even before you guys come in the game in buffalo because you're up in the stands you're a little bit you know out out of the view of the camera. You talk about what a special group and everybody pulling for each other. I want to ask you about a couple of guys. In 25 years, I have never seen a relief pitcher 
walk around in a bullpen more than Jordan Romano walks around in a bullpen. Every time we look down, there's like, Romano's on the mound, and we're going to take a shot of it and put it on camera. And then we're like, no, 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 he's just walking around again. He's not throwing. Why is that dude walking around for like inning after inning after inning every night? Everyone says he paces, and he calls it he's stalking. He's stalking his prey. That's what that's what he says. So it's Jordan is one of my best buddies, but he's one of these guys that when it comes to the sixth, seventh inning, he is locked in and he's ready to go. And when he thinks he's pitching, he is locked in. As you guys can see, he's a de- definitely a different pitcher than he was last year. Yeah, and he, just his mentality and everything, and and look at the success that he's been having. It's working. So yeah, he he's just one of those guys that. He just takes those couple innings and he really just, he stalks. That's what he says. He's, st- <laughs> he's stalking. So that's like the cool thing about it. It's like you just get to see when you're in the bullpen and you get to see everybody's routine of what it takes for them to go out there and then just have the most success they can possibly have. Yeah. Uh, it, it feels to us like there's some, and, and in a good way, like there's some hardcore goofy going on down in that bullpen. There are a couple of guys who, who feel a little bit different. Is, is it uh, like, who's the loudest guy? Who's the funniest guy? Uh, you know, who keeps it rolling down there for you guys? It's like everybody, everybody, like I've really got to know a lot of guys that for me, like as a starter, it's like you get to know the bullpen a little bit, but like when you're down there, you really get to know guys like Dolis is very funny. Bass is funny. Uh, Wilmer Fon is really funny. Wow. Everybody's really, really like a good guy. Like Thomas Hatch seems like he's really quiet, but once he's down there, he's, he's laughing, making jokes, like guys like that. It's, it's crazy. It's just the dynamic that we have down there. Everybody just has a, a good part in it. And Yamaguchi, he'll throw in a couple funny stuff, especially <laughs> with Utah talking for him. But it's funny when he gets to speak a little bit of English, it's a good group. It looks like it. So just tell the guys, the camera's kind of always around. Like, we can't hear anything, obviously, but we're enjoying watching you. And, and even if it's not on air, we've got a little monitor. Because that's you. when we're not at the ballpark, that's the only way we can see who gets up in the bullpen, right? So we got a bullpen cam. But you guys are almost like your own little sitcom to us. We enjoy watching that camera, even when it's uh, when there's nothing going on down there. <laughs> Hopefully we keep giving you some good clips. Yeah, if you want to walk by the camera and just give us a wave or a little, you know, a little secret handshake or I something. Will. We will. Yeah. What you should do is stalk around after Romano. When he's stalking, you should walk like three feet behind him one day and see if it just makes him nuts. No, I, I don't mess with Romano. He, <laughs> he, he, I don't want him to, to do something to me. I'm scared of him. In reading up about you getting ready to do this interview, I didn't realize, and I was one of these people too, except you, you without the athletic ability, but I was one of these crazy growth spurt kids too, who was really small and then boom, you're really big overnight. You and I are about the same size. We're both about 6'4", I think. And, and it, it was very similar. You went from like 5'8", your junior year in high school, to 6'4", your senior year in high school. Is that true? I did. I was a very late bloomer. I remember my freshman, sophomore year going to the doctor and like for my, my yearly physical. And my dad would just be like, is he going to grow? Like there were some points where I didn't think I was going to grow. And he was like, he's going to, his like percentiles up there. He will, he will trust me. And my dad's like, what, how tall do you think he'll be? And he's like, he'll be 6'2", 6'3". And I remember just my junior year, like starting my junior year, I was like 5'8", 135 pounds. And then by the end of the summer, I was about 5'11". And then into the summer, into my senior year, I was like 6'2". And then I just continued to grow. That was what it was. My sister says it perfect. Like I didn't see her for like three months. And she knocked on our door and I opened it and she like was scared. She's like, oh my God. She thought I was like a stranger. She thought she went to the wrong house. And... I mean, fortunately, I, I went from throwing 81, 82 my junior year to the beginning of the year. I was throwing 92, 93. 
So crazy. And then the rest is history. How tall is your dad, Ray? And how tall is your big brother, Matt? My mom, I feel like, is the tall one that kind of helps it. She's about 5'9". And then my dad's six one, six two. He's getting shorter by the years. And then my brother's like six foot, six one. I'm noticeably taller than my brother Matt. When you me and him get up close to each other, I'm probably like three inches taller than Matt is. Does that bother him? Uh, no, no. He doesn't mess with me no more. I think he knows me and him would have a good battle if he roughed me up like he did when I was a little kid. Well, it's funny you should mention that because I wanted to get some information on you. Uh, what you were like as a little okay. kid. And and as luck would have it, I got a chance <laughs> to spend some time with Matt. And he told me this story about little Ryan Barucki. Listen. Man, Ryan was the quintessential cocky, brash, annoying little brother in just about every sense. And thankfully, over the years, he's matured and grown out of that for the most part. But man, he was a little pest when he was younger. And and though we were about seven years apart growing up, he, he spent a lot of time hanging out with my friends and I. Or, you know, at least he wanted to spend a lot of time with us. We didn't always want him around. He would just be kind of lingering in the background, talking trash to us. And we were always playing sports, competing one way or another. And Ryan, you know, just wanted to be involved. But given that age and skill gap, he knew he couldn't beat us in anything. Uh, But he always knew if he talked enough trash, he would eventually entrap us into playing with him, right? So like clockwork, we'd finally include him into whatever we were doing absolutely dominate him in every aspect just to to shut him up but that wouldn't work because even in defeat he would continue to talk trash and say we got lucky or overrated and deceive us into a rematch it was a vicious circle so i'll never remember the one day he finally won something we played a lot of wiffle ball as you can imagine and we had a big home run derby somehow some way ryan in his left-handed swing we had a little short porch and right he beat me and all my friends and if you thought he was insufferable and defeat, you can't even imagine his arrogance after he beat us all that day. So in a fit of rage, Ryan had this Ken Griffey Jr. Louisville slugger with a ball bat that he loved. And I just took that thing and I snapped it over my leg. And even though it's been nearly 20 years, he'll still bring it up to this day. Does that ring a bell, Ryan? <laughs> oh, I remember that day like it was like it was yesterday. It was the most... <laughs> disturbing sight of him snapping my favorite bat till this day i never found a wiffle ball bat th- that was that good it was the best wiffle ball bat ever and he snapped it over his knee i remember that a hundred percent uh so sad it's an awful story like it's a terrible big brother you know just t- giving it to the little brother story it's a cold story i have to say i think i've learned how to talk trash i, I feel like i'm pretty good at talking trash when it comes to like competing against each people and I learned that from a young age because I did talk a lot of crap. I was very cocky when it came to like me, my brother, because I just knew it pissed him off. So it was just like <laughs> one of those things. It was like, I'm just poking the bear, poking the bear. And yeah, I just wanted to hang out with my brother's friends like in my neighborhood. I didn't have any many like kids in the neighborhood. So when friends would come over, I would like beg my brother like to hang out with them. And like they'd be playing video games and he'd be like, all right, you're allowed in the room, but you're not allowed to talk. <laughs> I'd be like, Classic okay. Yeah. And then like, they'd make a joke and I'd start laughing. He'd look at me and say, all right, get out of the room. You made a noise. And he'd like kick me out of the room. How old were you when you won that wiffle ball contest, do you think? I think I was like nine or 10. We, it was like 100 feet away, like into the street was a home run. 
And I don't know how I did it, but my brother just kept popping it up. My dad was thrown to us and he literally snapped the fat over his knee. But uh, I did tape it up a little bit, but it just was never the same. Uh, but but you did win. I mean, you lost the bat, but you, but you did win. And you can tell that story for the rest of your life. So that's something. I did win. A lot of competing in the Brucky house. It sounds like it. I don't know if he feels badly about the bat, but we're going to roll one more sound clip from Matt. He does want you to know how proud of you he is and how much he loves you. So here's a story about when you were in the minor leagues. Yeah, so in June of about, I think, 2017, I made a trip down to Dunedin to see Ryan pitch in high A ball. And he was really struggling that season, and I thought a visit from me might help. Well, I didn't help the cause at all because the game I saw, he got shelled in front of about 80 people in a Florida State League game. And I knew he was disappointed. And when I dropped him off at home that night, you know, the last thing I said was, you know, the results will never dictate how proud I was of, of him. You know, he had already been through so much injury-wise. I was just happy to see him healthy and on the mound again. Uh, but it was tough leaving that weekend because I wasn't sure what the future was going to hold just because he was having some struggles. But beginning of that following start, he was absolutely lights out. He dominated his next handful of starts in Dunedin. He got called up to AA New Hampshire, he continued to do the same. Then he was called up to make one start the last weekend of the season with AAA Buffalo, uh, where he proceeded to throw six shutout innings. So in a matter of like two months, he went from you know fringe prospects struggling with injuries and simply getting hitters out in A-ball to dominating the highest level of the minor leagues. And that offseason, Ryan showed me this note he'd wrote himself just in his iPhone that night after you know that really tough start in Dunedin. Uh, he was going to work as hard as he possibly could to avoid that feeling of failure again and, and really make the most out of the opportunity he had finally being healthy uh, and pitching again. And ultimately, he carried that momentum uh, into 2018 when he eventually solidified himself, you know, in the Blue Jays starting rotation and, and put everyone on watch, like, never count this guy out. He's good enough to pitch at the uh, highest level. And I think it exemplifies kind of who he is as a person and the competitor he is. That's pretty cool. Like, he never formally apologized for breaking your wiffle bat, but you can tell that he loves you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I do remember that game. I got crushed by the Pirates and brained, and it was at home. And I remember we went and got some beers, and he was telling me that and stuff. And, and I also do remember I was sitting in my bed late at night and just wrote that note. I think I still have the note in my phone, actually. That's cool. Somewhere. Yeah, he remembers it well, too. He does feel a little badly that he had Mookie Betts on his fantasy team when you pitched against the Red Sox a couple of times. I think you might actually get an apology for that one. Did that become like a thing between you guys? You're starting against the Red Sox and he's not benching Mookie? Yeah, that was and that was like the day Mookie went like three for three off me with like two triples and a double. <laughs> <laughs> it was unbelievable. He told me that. I was like, you got to be kidding me. I was like, at least I helped your fantasy teams some way, <laughs> some way. Like blood is thicker than water, but nothing trumps fantasy, right? I'm fantasy's fantasy. You got to do what you got to do. I'm a fantasy football guy. It's cutthroat. I understand. <laughs> You've been a great sport. Let's wrap up like kind of rapid fire. Very quick answers. A couple of things I'm curious about. Tell me something people need to know about Mundelein, Illinois. How big is it? And what's the most recognizable, notable thing in Mundelein? Uh, Mundelein, Illinois, just has about 32,000 people in it. It's, it's just kind of a uh, grittier town, I would have to say. Like the towns around it are very, like really nice, wealthier and stuff. And Mundelein's kind of that, a bunch of blue collared people. And like, that's how baseball, like our baseball team is very known around the area for being very, very good and a very high legacy. But probably the best thing about Mundelein, they have this place called Luke's in Mundelein. 
is my favorite restaurant, hot dogs, hamburgers, beef sandwiches, Chicago food. And it's the best and best in probably, I think, in Illinois. Uh, nice. Well, Luke should give you like a free meal next time you come in for endorsing them. No, I've been trying to get endorsements from that place for years. They won't do it, though. Really? All right. We'll work on that. Tell me about the best game you ever had in high school basketball. Best game I ever had in high school basketball. I think I think I had like seven or eight threes in one game. I think that was my sophomore year. And then I made a couple a couple game winning shots. Probably those were probably the cool ones for me. I was more of just a I was kind of a shooting guard, kind of a role play kind of guy. I wasn't the star. But even before the growth spurt, you were getting open and knocking down threes. I was just one of those guys that always I I knew who the best players were, like those guys that could dribble drive, and I would just kind of stay in their eyesights, and I would like <laughs> work down the key down into the corner, and when they went up, and they were like, oh crap. I would, they would dish it out to me nice. most of the time. I assume a lefty shooter. A lefty shooter, lefty yes. Lefty shooter, good. What's the coolest piece of memorabilia or autograph or anything like that that you have? Hmm. I mean, last year I got CC Sabathia's autograph, which is pretty cool because, I mean, I grew up watching him, and, like, he was such a big part of my childhood just growing up watching him play. That was one of the big – the cool thing about, like, with MLB guys, like, you can just ask for autographs, and guys are so cool about giving them, and – that's probably the coolest one that I have. Last thing, your fiance's from Vancouver. You're a Toronto Blue Jay. You've spent a lot of time in Canada. What is the funniest yes. Canadian thing or saying? What really cracks you up when you think about Canada that you just can't get over the fact that this is a real thing? I still just give my fiance crap about how like they spell things differently and like have to make everything more than it has to be. Like flavor has a U in it. Aluminium. People don't know how to spell center. I was telling this story the other day when I first got drafted by the Blue Jays and they do the broadcast and it says center field with an RE. Mm -hmm. I was like, who is editing this? Like, how do you let typos <laughs> on the field? Like, that's what I really thought until I learned that it wasn't like that. Right. Aaron Boone and I always used to argue about exactly what you and your fiance would argue about because he would say to me, why is honor or valor or flavor spelled that way? And I would say, what language are we speaking, Aaron? And he would say English. And I would say, where does that language come from? And he would say, England. And I say, how do they spell it in England? And he would say, I don't know. And I would say, they spell it the Canadian way. And I'd say, you know why? Because it's you Americans who change the spelling, not us. And he would go, oh, really? Is that true? And I would go, yeah, we're spelling it the right way. And you're making fun of us. But he would just dismiss me, you know, you know, give me the Heisman, nothing like that. So that's the same way I am. Yeah. <laughs> Got to be a little more open-minded. All right. Are you open-minded enough? That if down the road, there's a next generation left-handed Barucki who has a growth spurt and his velocity ticks up and he's in the mid-90s, that kid's a dual citizen. We could see him playing for Canada, right? Is that a possibility? We could. We could. Obviously, we don't know what, what's going to happen yet. Where We're going to supposed to get married probably sometime this offseason. And yeah, there's a good chance he could be playing for Canada's team. It would be cool for him to play for if he was able to get the opportunity to play for any country. It'd be cool. Yes. I've never got the opportunity to play for a country. So any country. I love Canada and I love the United States. It's I do love Vancouver a lot. I have to say that's one. Yeah. I'm, I'm very fortunate for my fiance being from there because that's one of my favorite cities ever. It is beautiful. So uh, I appreciate you being a good sport and getting hot bombed by your big brother on this and, and allowing us to have some laughs. And most of all, I'm glad you're healthy because you've been through a lot and it's great to see you throwing and throwing as well as you are. Stay healthy and have a great rest of the season. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. Well, as you can hear, Ryan Barucki has been through a lot. And as you can hear as well, 
He's a good guy and a good sport for allowing us to drop his brother in on him uninterrupted and have some fun with him as well. Sounds like he's enjoying the bullpen. Sounds like he's enjoying the guys. And again, just being healthy and throwing as well as he is, is the biggest victory of all for a guy like Ryan Barucki. That'll do it for this episode of A Swing and a Belt. It was produced this week by a couple of people, Amil Delich and Christian Ryan. We invite you to give us a like or a review to subscribe and to find us wherever you enjoy your podcasts. I'm Dan Schulman, and we'll see you again next time.